don't we thank Gary and, and these guys real quick for doing a great job in leading us. Thank you guys very much. Ephesians chapter 5, that's where we are, Ephesians chapter 5. And let me just go ahead and, and try to um, preface with, go ahead and put your, your thumb in 1 Peter chapter 3 and Genesis chapter 2. 1 Peter 3, Genesis chapter 2. Um, okay, so I'm not sure if you've ever had that moment. Um, now that moment for me was, you're halfway through a sermon and a fire alarm goes off. <laughs> now if you've had that moment, you know how I felt last week. I've laughed about it all week, and there's two things I've laughed about. First, I'm trying to figure out what it was, like what that sound was. <laughs> my first inclination, no kidding, you got to try to preach with these sort of thoughts going through your mind. My, my first thought was a pterodactyl had gotten loose in the building somehow, right? And then my second thought was um, that resembles the sound of a person vomiting. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm telling you, you got to try to hold that together, right? And so my, my second thought, and this has just cracked me up all week thinking about it, is we had our, basically our biggest day of Stonegate last week. And we just happened to be speaking on submission, and we had a fire alarm go off, right? I mean, that's a good way to try to clear up some seats typically. So I'm, I'm glad you're back, a little bit surprised, but I'm, I'm glad you're here. And so Ephesians chapter 5 is where we are. And he, here's going to be the game plan today. Um, I am going to, uh, to work back through what we covered last week and then pick it up. Um, what would have been like post fire alarm and pick it up from there and kind of finish um, where we were going last week. And so if you were here last week, some of this is going to sound the same. Um, This is the good thing about it. They say that that you forget about 90% of what's preached anyway. And so it should be good for you, right? And so that's really depressing for a preacher though. And so uh, we're going to work back through that and then pick it up and and kind of finish where we were going last week. Okay, so Ephesians chapter 5, one of the most um, beautiful displays of what the family is supposed to be, what marriage is supposed to be in the Bible. So if you start reading Ephesians chapter 5, 22 through the end of that chapter, this is one of the most comprehensive pictures of what marriage is intended to be. And this is Paul, if you want to back up and say, what's Paul's primary point? I think this would be his primary point, Ephesians 5, 31, that, that this thing we call marriage. I, I mean, you get married, you kind of do this thing before a pa- you get married. This thing that we call marriage is first and foremost meant to be a metaphor. It's meant to be a gospel display. And so when people see marriage, they are seeing a picture of what the gospel is. Okay, th- this is the primary point that sits over this passage. Is your marriage is your primary way of preaching the gospel. Your first and primary way is through your marriage. So now this is what leads us to say statements like this, that this is why marriage not only needs to be redeemed in our culture, but in our churches. You don't have to be overly brilliant to look around and see that marriages aren't doing that well, right? And so even in our churches, marriages aren't doing that well. And so here's the thing with your marriage. The glory of God is at stake with your marriage. The gospel is at stake in and with your marriage. This is why we've got to redeem them in churches. And this is why my hope, and and this has been like a a big burden over me for these, um, for the last couple of weeks and the the weeks to come, is that God would kind of set our marriages on a gospel um, glorifying display. That that would be the trajectory of our marriages. That your marriage would get on that trajectory of, of displaying the gospel. Okay, so it's not only marriage that needs to be redeemed. In our churches, though, to take that a step further, and this is what we talked about last week as we um, kind of started looking at the wives' role, we talked about this fact that, that the roles, God's design for men in marriage and women in marriage needs to be redeemed in our churches. 
It is to the church's detriment that churches are scared to preach these things, that pastors are terrified to preach these things. So rather than jumping into them, they just walk around them. They just kind of skirt them, right? That's to the churches and our ladies, our wives. That's to our detriment that pastors do that. And so I just want to tell you up front, this is my hope for today. My hope is, is to be able to, to set th- these roles within marriage up, to kind of polish them, dust them off, and pray that the Holy Spirit would make them beautiful to you. Men, you are meant to be a metaphor in marriage. Men in here, if, you, if you're a husband in here, your role, like you're, you're to display Christ to the world. This is your role. In marriage, this is your God-given opportunity. The way you love and lay down your life for your wife. You're meant to display Christ's covenant love to the world. And we're going to jump into this next week. It's a tough job. Really tough job. This is your role. This is why God has made you a husband. So you could be that. Okay, now, now ladies, on the other end of this, you get the unique opportunity, the unique privilege of displaying, of showing the world what the church is, how the church joyfully and willingly responds to Christ. Like you get the opportunity to do that, right? I mean, this, this is a beautiful thing. God's design, like there, there's this idea in our culture that, that this idea, this God's design, the, the, the role of man, the role of ladies, there is this idea that that's demeaning some way. That that's kind of like a lack of value. And that could not be like more opposite of the biblical reality. The biblical reality are, are that these things are great and glorious and they're good things for men and they're good things for our ladies in the room. Okay, so with that said, um, let's read Ephesians chapter 5 one more time, 22 through 24, as we kind of outline the ladies. And ladies, before we read that, I want to just throw this out in front of you. That when you and all of us, by the way, when we read the word of God, we've got to make a decision. Where are we going to stand in relationship to the word? And so you've got one of two options. You can stand over the word as if you're the judge of the word, right? As if you're the one that determines that this is good or bad. As if you know better than the Bible would know for your life and better than God would know for your life. So you've got the decision. Am I going to stand over the word this morning or am I going to stand underneath the word? Allowing the word to depress me and shape me. These truths of God depress me and shape me into the image of Christ. Now, ladies, this is my hope for you this morning, men, next week. This is my hope for you, is that you would place your life under the word and and that you would allow these truths to make you, chisel you into the form of Christ. Okay, verse 22 goes like this. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So this is the clear command. The clear command goes like this, wives submit to your husbands. Now, last week I made the joke that the first thing we need to tell our wives is to get the finger off the trigger, right? Put the gun down. Okay, we're okay here, right? Take a deep breath. Okay, so, so this is, when we back up out of Ephesians 5, these are some things I think you need to know, wives in here, that you need to know as we start to kind of get a, a view of what these things mean. That, that first of all, the Bible calls all people to submit. This is not unique to the wife. This is a biblical reality for every human being. First and foremost, the Bible calls us all to submit to God. Like we're all to lay our life under the, the headship of Christ. So we're all, that, that is universal, 
Every person created has this call to submit their lives to Jesus. Okay, now behind that, we're all called to submit to other things. Every person is called to submit to, this is 1 Peter chapter 2, to human institutions, right? To governors and, and governments and um, laws of the land, right? This is the reason that, that we pay our taxes. This is the reason that we um, at least acknowledge the speed limit, right? And so th- this is the reason we do these things is because God has called us to submit to, to human institutions. Okay, now behind that, if you go into Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll get there over the next couple of, of, of weeks, but we're called to submit to employers. If you're an employee of an employer, God has called you to be a good, faithful worker submitting to that headship of, of your employer. Um, p- Children, in Ephesians chapter 6, are called to submit to their parents, right? Okay, so this is a universal call. This is not just unique to ladies. Okay, now back up one verse to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. And just look at the atmosphere that this is written in. Ephesians 5, 21. This is what a spirit-filled person looks like. Verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Right? Okay, this is the atmosphere that this is written into. An atmosphere of, of mutual submission. The, the, the posture of every one of our lives, because we are Christ, the, the, the posture of our lives should be a, a posture of submission to other people. That I'll lay my life down for your good toward other people. That's the posture of all of our lives. So this is not unique to ladies. It's a universal call. Now, in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 24, Paul turns the gaze of God directly at our ladies and says this, but ladies... Wives, you have a unique calling to submit in the context of marriage. It's a unique calling. And this is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's not a demeaning thing, right? This is a gospel displaying thing. It doesn't have anything to do with equality. It has everything to do with your gospel calling. Okay, so this is the issue that that Paul's turning the gaze at wives and saying, you've been given a unique responsibility and privilege of displaying how the church responds to Jesus. You've been given that. Men have not been given that privilege, but our ladies have. This unique privilege to show how Christ responds, or how the church responds to our head, to Jesus. Okay, now with that, here's kind of the flow of the morning. I want to try to do to do three things. One, I want to try to set this command in the context. We got through that one last week, so we'll kind of reiterate some of these things. So for, the, for the new guys here, we'll try to um, walk you through that. And then we're going to clarify what these things mean. So the context, and we'll clarify like what exactly does submission mean. And then we'll end. I want to just commend this to you as something that is good and beautiful and great, worthy of your life's aim if you're a lady, a married lady in the room. Okay? So, so let's start with the context. Um, in Ephesians chapter 5, here's the first thing you need to see here, is that Paul roots this thing, and look at 531. You see that? that? That's a quote from Genesis chapter 2. Okay, so he's rooting this in creation. Now, we would all agree, I think, in here, that when we talk roles of men and women, that it is under attack in our culture. I mean, our culture does not like this. Our culture looks at this and says, you're ridiculous. I mean, this is one of those sorts of moments for our culture looking at this. Okay, now even people with inside the church do the same thing. Like people inside the church that hate this passage of scripture, um, what, what they'll try to do is they, they would cut it out of the Bible if they could, but they know nobody would hear them if they did that. So rather than cut it out of the Bible, what people typically try to do is explain it away as they leave it in the Bible. Okay, now one of the primary ways people do this is by saying that this command is cultural. So if you go back to first century um, living and first century culture, um, women were like 
um, possessions, not people. And, and so this command is more of an issue of a cultural sin than it is a command of God, right? Than God's original intent. Okay, now this is the, the response back to that. Is, is God does not, and Paul does not, root this command in culture. He roots this command in creation. Okay, now this was the three statements we used to kind of form the context of, of this idea of submission. Okay, the, the first one, the first kind of statement here is that God designed submission. Okay, so we looked at Ephesians 5.31. It traces back to Genesis chapter 2. And so we just walked through how God created man and woman, right? And so in Genesis chapter 2, if you want to flip there, feel free. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, God, um, he, he takes some dirt, breathes into it, and there's man, Right? Okay, so, so here comes man, and he places man in the garden, Adam in the garden, and he says, this is your job. I'm going to give you a command. You work it and you tend it. Okay, you, you glorify God and you worship God. Okay, you cultivate this thing. You build this thing. You make the rest of the earth look like this part of the earth. This was man's role in the garden. Okay, and then, so you got it coming out here, and now God looks in, in um, chapter 2, verse 17, 18, right in through there. God looks at Adam, and he makes a very important statement. He says, it's not good for you to be alone. It's not good. And here's what God's saying in that. He's saying that there are no relational equivalents to you, right? Dogs are great. They may be man's best friend, but they're not a relational equivalent to a man, right? Or to a woman. They're, they're not a human being. So God looks at man and says, um, there's no one suitable for you. There's, you need a help. You, you need something here. Okay, now God looks at this and says, okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you a suitable helper. I'm going to make you one. And it doesn't say she's helpless. It says she's a suitable helper for the man. Okay, so, so God tranquilizes Adam. Okay, that's my version. Tranquilizes him, breaks a rib off, and makes woman. Okay, now, now here's the key statement I want you to, to grab when, when we're talking about this idea of rooting it in creation. That God designed woman from Adam... His rib, broke off the rib, here's, here's woman, and for Adam, a suitable helper for Adam. And that is not a bad thing. That is a good thing. So this is God's design. It's rooted, this is how Paul relates all this. It's rooted in creation, not culture, right? And so we would all say that we are equal before God. This has nothing to do with value or dignity. Any of those things, we're all perfectly equal before God. Made in God's image, equal. But yet God makes us distinct, different roles to do different things. This is what it means to be male and female. So we're affirming equality, but we're also affirming distinctions. That God has made us man and female. Okay, different in the midst of that. Okay, so this is God's original design. It's a good thing. Ladies, it's a good thing. Men, it's a good thing. This is God's design, and his design is good. It's a good thing because it's God's thing, right? Okay, now this is the second part of this. So we've got God creating. It's a good thing. This is God's design. And now we said this. In Genesis chapter 3, man distorts this image of submission. Okay, so when I say man, I'm talking man and woman. Us all. We distorted this thing. And so when you start to play this out, God makes the woman. Right? And so it's Adam wakes up and sees her, and Michael Bolton, like he starts singing in the background when man loves a woman. This is the first, right? This is the first love song in Scripture. Look at verse, or chapter 2, verse 23. First love song in Scripture goes right here. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. It doesn't really sound like when a man loves a woman, but that's the same idea. This is poetry in place here. Okay, so, so you've got it going well for man and woman. Then you get to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, and a serpent, Satan, shows up. 
convinces Eve to bite the fruit, to eat the fruit, gives it to Adam, he bites it. And at that moment, okay, listen to me here. At that moment, that's what theologians would call the fall. And at that moment, everything in God's good creation was distorted. God's design was distorted. Okay, so, so God's creation is now broken. Okay, now just think about the ways this plays out. Now alcohol for the first time produces alcoholics. Now the beauty of sex has this other face and, and can turn into the horror of rape and incest and pornography, right? And so goes the story with submission. Okay, at that moment, at the fall, authority and submission, God's original design was tainted, was distorted. Okay, now look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. And you're going to see how this curse plays out, the effects of this sin plays out. So we talked about this last week, Genesis three sixteen. It says about the woman. Your desire shall be for your husband. Okay, now that does not mean, and we said this last week, that does not mean that you cannot live without your husband. That means that you're going to have a really, really difficult time living under your husband. That is the effect of sin in our life, in, in a lady's life. It's not that you can't live without him. It's that you're going to have a hard time living under him. Okay, the same word desire is used in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. When, when God is talking to Cain and he says, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. And sin's desire is for you, to rule over you, to master you, to overpower you. This is sin's desire for you. Same word in Genesis 3.16 when God's addressing Eve and saying, your desire is for your husband to rule over, to usurp his authority, to, ro- to, wor- uh, to work around his authority. This is your desire, right? Okay, so th- this is what we talked about last week, that... This, the fall, this sin, it, it creates this tendency in women to go to one of two extremes. Extreme number one, and by the way, these are the same tendencies that men go to. Extreme number one is to produce really dominant women. I will roll over him. I, I will, I'll command the ship. I'll wear the pants. I'll control this thing. I, I, I'll be that in our marriage. Okay, now ladies, if you do that in your marriage, here is what you are doing to your man. If you go that route, if you're going to be the dominant, I'll control this thing. You're emasculating your man. That's what you're doing. I I think it's really interesting. When you look at this passage in in Ephesians chapter 5, he starts with ladies. I I think I would have started with men. I think I would have said, okay, so if you're the head, let's start with you. But you know why I think he starts with the ladies? It's because it doesn't matter if your man is the apostle Paul. If you don't follow him, he can't lead you, right? And so it starts with just a joyful willingness to be able to follow. Okay, and this is what sin distorts. It creates a tendency in ladies to go to the dominant extreme. And, and ladies, if that is you, if you've, if you've gone to the dominant extreme, I, I'm going to control everything. I mean, it, people are going to walk in eggshells in my house, right? I mean, I, I'm going to be the sovereign controller here. If that is you, that's a sinful distortion of who God's created you to be. And I just want to invite you this morning to repent of that. Okay, now here's the other tendency in ladies. It'll drive them to being overly docile, right? And so we talked about this last week. Okay, fine. If I can't, if I can't have the command of the ship, then, then I'll just sit and I won't really care. I'll just do whatever. And, and this is my word back to that. Is God did not create you to be helpless. He created you to be a suitable helper. Read Proverbs 31. That is the picture of a godly woman. She is not helpless. She's not sitting around passively. She is actively working. She's a good helper. 
Okay, now here's the thing with this distortion, right? This um, sin affecting submission is it also creates these same tendencies in men. Okay, look at Genesis 3.16. Okay, first you've got for the lady, your desire is going to be to rule over your husband, to master your husband. For the man, here's the other piece of that. To the man it says, but he's going to rule over you. Okay, that's also a sinful disorder. That's the effects of sin in this thing. Okay, so here's the tendency in men is to become dominant, to become a dictator of a home. Okay, look at me, men. You are not created and not commissioned by God to be a dictator in your home. And this is what makes it, um, for me, a little bit nerve-wracking to talk on this is because I think a lot of sinful men, legalistic men, ruthless tyrants, right, that are, are more male than men. They've distorted this picture so bad of headship that it makes it awkward to talk about it. I mean, they've given it such a bad name that I don't, um, I don't fault a lot of ladies for pushing back on it. Um, we had a church planting team, one of my pastor friends, just get back from Ecuador. One of the first villages they went in, in Ecuador, they walked into a village-wide funeral of a lady who had drank poison, poisoned herself to get away from the ruthless tyrant of a husband she had. Men, if that is you, you need to repent of that. God did not make you the sovereign head of your home. God is the sovereign head that made you a good leader, commissioned you to be a good leader who would lay down his life in the home. Okay, there's a big difference between those two. Okay, so if that's you, you need to repent of that. You need to make submission joyful for your wife. Okay, now here's the other tendency in, lay, in, in men. is okay, so if I can't dominate, if I'm not going to be the ruthless tyrant, I'll just be the passive guy. If she wants the command, I'll sit back. If she wants to wear the pants, I'll gladly take underwear, right? I mean, they're more comfortable anyway, right? And, and so this is the other tendency in men, is that we'll just be passive. And so this is, okay, now listen to this. This is Adam in Genesis 3. His wife eats the fruit, and he is standing in the shadows, passively watching it. Watching her rebel. And that's a sinful position for a man to be in. Men, God has called you to be a loving leader, willing to lay down his life for the sake of the bride. Okay, we'll get to that next week. Okay, so if you want to know, ladies, if you want to know why submission and authority on the men's side, if you want to know why this causes like a um, increase in blood pressure, like the red face, why, why it causes all of that, sin is the answer. That, that's the answer. It distorts all of that in our heart. Here's what sin does to us. It makes us want to be God. Sin makes us want to be the sovereign ruler in every little kingdom of our life. Now, here's here's the great thing about submission. Is that although man has distorted it, the gospel redeems it. This is the beauty of the gospel. Is that it reverses the curse, right? So, So the gospel comes in and listen, it frees every one of us in here from the need to be God. Okay, so so it doesn't just save us from the wrath of God. It saves us from the need to be God. Okay, this is the beautiful thing. Men, the gospel is what allows you to be a good head in your home that will lay down his life for his family. The gospel enables that. It restores submission and authority. It does all of that. Ladies, the gospel is what allows you to, to let go of the reins and entrust the leadership of your family to your husband. The gospel is what allows that. The gospel alone does that for you. Okay, so remember this, ladies, that when you think about the difficulty of this command, the the answer is not to white knuckle it. Well, okay, so God says submit, so I'll I'll do it. That's not the answer. The answer is the gospel. 
Remember in the first three chapters of Ephesians, as Paul is laying the context for this command, in the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul gives one command. As he's defining the gospel, one command. The one command in the first three chapters is remember the gospel. So this is why we say around here, the most important thing you can do in life is know the gospel. The most important thing you can do daily in life is remember the gospel. It is what allows you to love and follow your husband like God has called you to. The gospel redeems it. The gospel restores the the beauty of submission. And listen to this. And it also makes submission possible for us, right? Okay, so this is the context. Okay, now to clarify. We got like halfway through the clarify section last week. So so under the clarify, let's try to define what what it means when we say submission. And here's what submission means. Submission is the joyful willingness to follow the one that God has placed in authority over you. Okay, that's what submission means. The joyful willingness to follow the one that God has placed in authority over you. So wives, that means it's joyful. This is not a begrudging thing. This is not a, well, my husband pulled the gun on me, so I, okay, it's not that. This is a joyful thing. Submission is first a posture of the heart. Okay, so submission is an internal issue. It's an attitude before it's an action. So it's, it's a joyful thing. Okay, so you've got joyful, and then you've got, it's a willing thing. Okay, that word submit in verse 24, that's in the passive voice. That means it's voluntary. That means it's a choice of a lady. It's a gift that a lady can give her husband. Okay, so, so it's a voluntary issue. It's a willing thing, and then it's to follow. It's to give up the primary responsibility of leadership and to hand that to your husband. Okay, that's what it means to follow. And then uh, we follow the one that God has placed in authority over us. So what we're saying is that God, look at verse, look at verse 23. It says the husband is the head of the wife. That's in the indicative mood. Here's what that means. Indicative means it's not a command. That's an imperative, right? An indicative is a statement of fact. It's like saying the stage is black. It's like saying the sky is blue. It's like saying the fire alarm went off. It's like saying white men can't dance. All of those things are statement of facts, right? Okay, so, so God is not saying that the, man, um, that the man desires it. He's not saying that the man demands it. He is saying that, that this is God's statement of fact. The head, the, 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 the husband is the head of the wife. Okay, so it's a statement of fact that God's saying here. So it's recognizing, submission recognizes that, that God has placed authority over all of our lives. And it's the joyful willingness to follow the one or the thing that God has placed over our lives. That's submission. Okay, now let me give you some things it's not. And we went through a couple of these last week. Number one, submission does not mean, okay, it does not mean this. It does not mean that a wife is unequal to her husband in value, capacity, or competency. It doesn't mean that. Okay, so submission, like when we say there's different roles, that does not mean there's an inequality of worth. It has nothing to do with worth. I think a lot of guys in this room, me included, would say that my wife in a lot of areas has more competency and more capacity than I do. I mean, there's a lot of areas that my wife is just clearly better than I am. And the, the men should say amen right there, right? Okay, good. That would be a smart thing to do, guys, right? Okay, so, so there's a lot of areas where I would completely, so it's, it has nothing to do with value, capacity, competency. It has nothing to do with those issues. Ladies, listen, this is all to do with your calling by God. This has nothing to do with your um, quality. It has everything to do with the gospel calling in your life, right? Okay, so it doesn't have anything to do with the value. Okay, number two. Submission does not mean oppression. 
Submission does not mean oppression. So in our culture, a lot of times that's what people think it means. That is not the biblical picture of submission or authority or headship. Submission does not mean oppression. And men, look at me men, the only reason submission would ever feel like oppression is when headship equals dictatorship. That is the only reason it ever would. But when headship equals loving as Christ loved the church, laying down your wife as Christ loved the church, When headship means that, which we'll talk about that next week, when headship means that, then submission turns into liberation. It turns into a very freeing thing for a wife. When men love as Christ loved the church, then then it breathes gospel air into the home. Okay, this is the idea. It doesn't mean oppression. Number three, submission does not mean the husband is the wife's ultimate authority. Okay, so, so the husband does not replace Christ. The husband lives under Christ. And ladies, we talked about this last week, how um, submission stops where disobedience to Christ starts. So wherever that line is, if your husband tries to lead you out from underneath Christ in a sinful direction, then you've got a gospel obligation. Your first responsibility is to Christ to say no to that. And so we talked about Acts 4 last week where Peter and John are preaching and and the government officials come to them and say, listen, you've got to stop preaching. You you can't do it anymore. And their response is, I can't do that. You'll have to kill me before I can go there. Okay, so, so here's what we're saying. Submission does not mean sin. We never submit our way into sin. And let me kind of clarify this with careful words here. We never submit our way into clearly defined sin. Okay, we're not saying something that's subjective. We're not saying, well, I kind of think this. He kind of thinks that. I kind of think a $3,000 shopping spree would be appropriate. He kind of does. We're not saying that, right? That's not the issue. We're saying clearly defined sin. That's where your obligation to submission stops. Okay, now, wives, I want to clarify just this this piece. When when you say no to your husband, there is a way to do that um, in in such a way that it rises and kind of raises the tension, Right? And there is a way to do that 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 suppresses the tension. And and what submission is, it's a joyful willingness. So so more than anything, submission is a disposition. Just a way we would posture ourselves toward our husbands. So so when we disagree, it, it goes more like this. I want to follow. The disposition is, I want to follow you. I would love to follow your leadership, but you're not letting me. I mean, that's a completely different way of saying it than you're a pagan. I get a clue, right? I mean, you're an idiot. Okay, that, that's a completely different way of saying the exact same thing, right? Okay, so, so the disposition in a wife's heart is, I want to follow you. This is a joyful submission, but you're not allowing me to do that. I want you to be a good leader, and I want to follow your good leadership. Okay, that's the disposition. Okay, and the last one. Submission does not mean a wife must give up on changing her husband. So, so it doesn't mean that a wife has to give up on that. It, it doesn't mean, oh, well, let me say it this way. Wives, we know your husband is not Jesus, right? And we know that you know your husband is not Jesus. So, so we're clear on that. There is no question on that. So it's not an issue uh, of, of, of that. It, is he perfect? It's not an issue of perfection, right? Okay, so, so you can't go there. So submission does not mean that a wife must give up on changing her husband. Okay, now wives, I'm going to give like a timeless secret to you right here, right? I mean, this is worth you coming this morning right here. And this applies both ways, but wives, 
You need to stick this in your back pocket. Nagging will never work. Now, now let me clarify just this piece. That was, that was not a wise amen right there, okay? Just to clarify. That, that was almost like a fire alarm, right? That was close. As a matter of fact, this is right where the fire alarm went off last week. Submission does not mean you give up on changing your wife, but it means you do it in an appropriate and wise way, right? And so nagging never works. And we talked about this last week, that Proverbs, it, it kind of equates a quarrelsome, or, or we'll use the word nagging. I think it's the same issue. Now this goes both ways. This goes husbands and wives. But the Proverbs are going to say this, that, that a quarrelsome wife, like the man in that relationship, would rather go live up on the roof, and not just on the roof, but on a corner of the roof. Like, give me this one-by-one-foot square right here. I'll take it, right? Okay, it's also going to equate it to this idea of, um, like, dripping water, right? Now, that doesn't sound overly threatening until you think about governments use that for torture, right? (laughs) Nagging is never a good idea. It doesn't work. Okay, now, this is the ironic thing, ladies. When you joyfully and willingly follow the leadership of your husband— it breathes gospel air into your home and into your husband. And this is the ironic thing. First Peter 3 says that when you do that, you promote change in your husband. You promote it when you do that. But, but when you demand it, when you nag for it, you destroy, you sabotage what you want most in your husband. Okay, now I, I love how um, Elizabeth George, she said this about it. She's a woman writing on submission. Says some good things about it. She says this about um, changing your husband through submission. Okay, here's what she says. Our submission, written from a lady, our submission to our husband, whether or not he is a Christian, whether or not he is obeying God, preaches a more lovelier, and I, I like that, a more lovelier and more powerful gospel than our mouth ever could. Isn't that ironic? That if you want to see your husband changed, that the primary and the best way the Bible would tell you to do that is to breathe gospel air into him through joyful submission, right? Okay, now let's clarify a couple of other points here. Look at verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands. So it's not to every man, it's to your own husband. Okay, it's specific to the context of marriage. So wives, I want to just have a real um, pastoral conversation here with you. Submission is a gift from God to you. It's a gift that God has given you. He he has wrapped a package and he has set it in your lap. And he has given you this gift to give to your husband. This will be one of the most precious things in your marriage that you can give your man. This will be one of the most precious things. And so now let me ask you a question, ladies. Do you want your man to be a man of God? Do you want that? Because I, I think there's a lot of ladies that want that, but, but don't live like they want that. Okay, so do you want your man to be a man of God or an emasculated man? If you want him to be a man of God, here's what you've got to trust God with. You've got to trust God to lead him to lead you. If you want him to be a man of God in your home and for your good, 
If you want him to step into that, to be that, then you have to give him the gift of your reverent respect, of your joyful submission, of your joyful willingness to follow the one that God has placed in authority over you. You've got to give him the gift of the reins in your marriage. You've got to place those reins in his lap and say, lead us, do that. I'm going to trust you with that. If you want your man to be God's man in your marriage, then you have to trust him to do that for you. You have to give him the gift of the final say. When you disagree, when you would go this way, he would, you've got to give him the gift of the final say if you want him to be the man of God in your marriage. You've got to give him the right to be wrong periodically, right? I mean, you've got to, be, you've got to give him the right and the, the gift of good fellowship. Okay, that, that's your gift that God has given you to give your husband. Not to every man, but to your husband. That's a gift God's given you there. Okay, so it's to your husbands. Next thing. It's not dependent upon your husband. Now, if a person, if a lady were to come to me and say this, um, I, I'm looking for a man worth submitting to. Here's my counsel back. Don't get married, right? It's not going to happen. But, but here's the thing. It's not dependent upon your man. It's okay. Now, if you just look in um, these three verses, look, look in those verses and just see if you can see an if or a but in there. Like see if you can find a, okay, submit to your husband if he's this or, but he's, he's that. Okay. See if you can find that. And here's that you can't find that exception clause. Now look in verse 24. It goes a step further and rather than giving an exception clause says, Wives in everything should submit to their husbands. Okay, now let me be really careful with this because here's what I'm not saying. I'm, and, and, and this is coming from a lot of tenderness when I say this. If you're in a relationship that is abusive, I'm not saying that there can't be a redemptive season of separation. You need to get out of the home if it's abusive. Okay, so I'm not saying that you need to stay in the home in that context. But I'm saying this, that there's not an exception list. There is God saying, wives, this should be the joyful disposition of your heart to run after this, to move into this. It's not dependent upon your husband. Listen, it's dependent upon Christ. That's where your submission is grounded. It's not in your husband. It's dependent upon a good gospel that Christ gives to us. Okay, now this leads right into the last one. Look at the end of verse 22. It says, as to the Lord, we submit to our husbands as to the Lord. So, okay, a couple of things we could say about this. Submission to your husband is an act of submission to God. When you submit to your husband, here's what you're first and foremost doing. You're first and foremost submitting to God. That's what you're doing when you submit to him. Now, to say this a different way, you might could say it like this. Wives, if you're not submitting to God in your life, if you are out from underneath the lordship of Jesus in your life, then there is no way you're going to be submitting to your husband. You won't do it. So so it's first and foremost an act of submission to God. I like how one pastor said it. He said this, your joyful willingness to follow the leadership of your husband says more about God in your life than your husband. We getting that? Says more about God than your husband. When you submit to your husband, regardless of his worth, you are saying, God, I trust you. And when we don't, when we have a list of exceptions, we are saying, God, I do not trust you. 
Listen, okay, when you think of submission to anybody, specifically for us today in the context of marriage, the issue is not, is your leader, is your husband reliable and trustworthy? That is not the primary issue. The primary issue for submission for all of us is, is do, we do, do we believe God is reliable and God is trustworthy? That's the issue. So men, if you complain about a president, let me ask you this question. Or maybe make this statement. It's not an issue of whether or not you believe he's reliable, he's trustworthy, regardless of where you stand on it. It's the issue is, do you believe that God who placed him in and over us is trustworthy and reliable? Teenagers, it's not an issue of whether or not you believe your parents are trustworthy and reliable. The issue is, do you think God who placed them over your life is trustworthy and reliable? Wives, it's not an issue of whether or not your husband is reliable and trustworthy. But do you believe the God who placed him there is? That's the issue. Okay, now listen, here's what happens in marriages, especially when they go difficult. The first thing we do is instantly go back to, I was a complete moron when I agreed to marry the guy, right? And and so this is where we instantly go. What was I, I made a complete mistake. Like I met this guy, I kind of cleared the smoke kind of see across the room in the bar and he's passed out over the pool table and it was lust, I mean, love at first sight, right? Okay, so, so this, is where, this is where we go when marriages get difficult. Okay, now I want, I want everybody to look at me here because I want this to stick in your brain. The same God who sovereignly made you, sovereignly married you to that man. So submission is first and foremost, do you believe that God is good in what he has given you? Do you believe that God is good and working for your good when he placed that man in your life and over you in your life? I mean, do you believe that God is trustworthy? That's the issue. It's as to the Lord. Okay, so we'll finish um, this up by trying just to commend this to you, that this is something good. And I know... I know that our culture rails against this. The church rails against this. But can I, I just want to plead with our ladies in here that this is a beautiful thing and we need ladies who are willing to live in it and show what good biblical womanhood is. Okay, so with that said, let, let me just kind of throw three statements out there as just commending this to our wives. Number one, wives, God's design is good for you. It's good for you. And so do you believe that God is working for you in this? His design is good for you. And here's the problem with all of us to some degree in this room. We've all been enculturated. It just varies in degrees. Okay, enculturation, we've introduced this word the last couple of weeks. It's, it's when the, the things and the way culture would view life becomes more normal for us in the way God views life. And this is our problem. We have breathed cultural air for so long that these things don't seem beautiful. When biblically, God looks at these things and says, these things are great and good and glorious because I've made them for you, for your good. God's design is for your good. And I just want to commend that to you. I just want to gently say that this is your best chance of your best marriage. There's a lot of different ways you can live and there's a lot of different ways you can do marriage. But I'm convinced that there's not a better way to live and a better way to do marriage. That there's not a more satisfying way to live and a satisfying way to do marriage. God's design is good for you. Second thing. Wives, this is your gospel display. 
I just want to commend that to you, that this is your unique opportunity to show the world how great it is to live under the headship of Jesus. This is your gospel display. I love how Paul Tripp defined the gospel. He said the gospel is Christ doing the unthinkable for the undeserving. And wives, when you submit to joyfully follow, joyfully and willingly follow the leadership of your husband, when you do that, You are displaying the gospel. You are doing the unthinkable for a very undeserving man. This is your gospel exhibit. This is your primary way that you get to show the world that Christ is good. And last thing I want to do with you, I want you to flip to 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're just going to read six verses and then we'll call it good. Last thing I want to commend to you for the ladies is, is for you to remember Sarah. To remember Sarah in the Bible. Abraham's wife, Sarah, to remember that lady. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 3. And if you don't have um, your Bible handy, you can look on the screen. We'll close it up after this. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives, and wives, here, here's the thing I'm trying to commend to you. Remember Sarah. Likewise, likewise wives, be subject to your own husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word, even if your husband is a difficult man, a hard man, maybe not even a believer. Okay, so even if your husband is that right now, likewise, likewise wives, be subject to your own husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct. So wise, if you want to know how, how you produce change in your husband, it is by the gospel impacting you to such a degree that you, you apply gospel pressure. You, you just apply gospel pressure of, of the way you live and the way you respond to your husbands. So ladies, if you are talking behind the back of your husband, if you're slandering your husband, if when you get in a group of ladies, your talk about your husband is demeaning, You are sabotaging what you want to see happen for your husband. He's saying that if you want to see your husband won over, it's by respectful and pure conduct, by submitting. Okay, let's keep reading here. Verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, or the putting on of clothes. Now, now Paul is not, or Peter is not saying um, that, that wives should stop putting on the jewelry, no more earrings. He's not saying that you should just wear your hair down, don't braid it, don't do anything with it. And he's not saying walk around naked, right? Okay, now your your husband might appreciate that, right? So so he would like, but that's not what Paul's saying, or Peter's saying. He is simply de-emphasizing the external. And he is emphasizing the internal. And this is a timely word in 21st century culture, right? When, When the picture of beauty is an airbrushed toothpick on the front of some magazine. Okay, it's a timely word that your beauty in God's eyes is not seen by the adorning of your hair or the, the size of your jewelry or your clothes. It's not seen that way. God sees past all of those directly to your heart. Okay, now this is what is beautiful to God. Verse 4, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. Beauty, biblically, is an internal issue. With the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is which in God's sight is very precious. 
Wives, if you want to know what is precious and beautiful to God, it is a disposition of submission, a quiet and gentle spirit, pure and respectful spirit. Verse 5. For this is how, and look at this, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. Women, you are commended a thousand different heroes to look after. I mean, the world commends a thousand different things to you. Buck the leadership of your husband. Go make a name for yourself. Make yourself independent. Climb up the corporate ladder. I mean, do all that. And God is simply saying that my will for you first and foremost is this. Godly women of the Bible don't hope in the world or their husband. They hope in God. I mean, that's first and foremost. And and then look at what this hoping in God produces and, and what's beautiful to God. By submitting to their husbands. This is what godly women do. And that is not oppression, suppression, repression. It's not any of those. It is gospel liberation. And then look at verse six, and we'll finish here. As Sarah, if you want a biblical mind, can I just commend to you, study the good women of the Bible. I mean, get to know these ladies. Make them your hero. I mean, be like these people. Ask Sarah, one of two people who makes it into Hebrews 11, kind of this hall of faith scripturally, one of the two people that gets there. And by the way, it's not that she's perfect in her submission, but she is continually progressing in it. Verse six, as Sarah obeyed Abraham. And that is not like, oh, he's the boss. I'm, it's not that. It is saying that she submitted to him, that she joyfully followed his leadership. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And that's not like capital L Lord, like God Lord. It is like a term of respect. It's like saying for us, sir or mister. It is showing that she respects him. The way she talks about him is respectful and good and pure. And then for our Stonegate ladies who have been redeemed by the gospel, this would be my final word to you. And you, Stonegate ladies, are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. If I were to end in a toast tonight or today, this is what I would say. May our Stonegate ladies live in the line of Sarah. Amen. Who have the heart and the internal beauty of Sarah. May we have those ladies here. May they cherish and may they live content in God's design and their gospel display. Amen. Let's pray. Singles, um, let me just say a quick word to you. If you are not married in this room, marriage does not give you the capacity to submit. It, It won't do it. To the single ladies, marriage is not your ticket. Okay, so if you're looking for that to cultivate these things, that's not how it happens. You have to cultivate those things before you get married. So you need to be praying that God would walk you deeper into the gospel, that God would start giving you a capacity to to joyfully and willingly follow those people that God has placed over your lives. So wherever you are now, start there. If you're in difficult situations now, that might be God's design for you to make you a good woman in the line of Sarah in your marriage. And to our married ladies, I just want to ask you the question, does this describe how you relate to your husband? Does it describe, and don't trust yourself with that answer, right? 
I mean, ask your husband. I mean, does that describe me? Is this me in our marriage? I mean, where where are there areas and things I can improve on? Where, Where are there areas I can joyfully and willingly follow you in a better way? And ladies, when you do that, you apply a good gospel lean onto your husband without saying a word. So ladies, man, I I pray this for you. I hope it for you. I pray that the Holy Spirit, as he just settles these things over your heart, makes these things beautiful. These are good, godly aims for your life. Godly aims for you. I think we've finished kind of each one of these just by saying that if your marriage is in a situation right now that, I mean, it's crisis mode or it's heading that way, make sure you get help. It drives me crazy. The typical way um, divorce happens is I'm teaching Sunday school one week and we're divorced the next. Get help. Don't sit quietly. We are committed to getting you help. Invite people into your life to speak into your marriage. Ladies, get some good gospel friends around you to speak into your marriage. And and as the Holy Spirit speaks to you, make sure you repent and you run to God and you step into all that God has for you to be. So God, we love you. God, we affirm that um, your way is best for us. God, I pray specifically for our ladies in the room. God, that they would trust you to lead their husband to lead them. That regardless of where they find themselves in marriage, and there's a thousand situations, so I just invite them to wrestle with what submission looks like in their context. But God, regardless of where they find themselves, I pray that they would be a beautiful gospel portrayal. So God, help us in that. We tell you that we need help. We need the gospel to to unlatch our hands around control to unlatch our hands around the need to be God so that we can be good followers. I pray that for my brothers and sisters in this room, for the marriages in this room, for the ladies in this room. It's in your good name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand as we sing?